All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for ministering to the kids. And the rest of you, get your Bibles open to Matthew. We're in Ephesians, I know. So if you get your Bibles out, we're in Ephesians chapter 2 today. And uh, we'll be finishing off our series on a peacemaking church. It only took eight weeks instead of three years, so kind of exciting. But uh, I'd like to first have the right reverend, good Dr. Scott Vorman, to come on up and share with us a little bit. So come on up. And as he's coming, come on up. We also, we forgot to do this during announcements, um, we have a special lady from our church who is actually going on a missions trip for how long, Sue? For two weeks, and you leave. That's you, Scott. It works, huh? Good. That you, you leave this coming Saturday, right? Okay, for two weeks, okay. Yeah, we're going, that's right. But thank you for going on our behalf, Sue. So after the service, we're praying for you. So, yeah, there you go, sir. Well, this um, sort of fun. I'm. You recognize my cap. Um, this is in honor of Dick Heinzelman. Hmm. So Dick Heinzelman was a uh, one of the elders, actually one of the founding people of the church. And uh, Dick died in July of 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went skiing at Taos. He and he and Sylvia and a group always went skiing at uh, at Taos. And so um, I had never been there. I'd always thought about it, but we talked about it a lot. So this is in honor and memory of Dick Heinzelman. Hmm. So yeah. anyway, I, they've asked me the elder board, which is you know the the three of us, uh, have asked me to give a little talk. And we're going to be doing that yeah. over the, the over board. the next. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear from all of us, just give a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be uh, speaking today because I'm going to be out next week, and then it turns out I'm going to be gone. The next next week is the second week, and that's set up, and I'm normally gone that week. <laughs> he always misses But anyway, so I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks, so I'm going to be talking now, and it's, yeah. it seems like the most time. Um, I've given two sermons while I've been here at the church. Uh, one of them was on... Um, righteousness. The other one was on providence. And what I'm going to talk today about is a little bit is the providence of God working in this church in Moore Park. And so that's, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes. Um, Linnadell said, you want you to define providence. And uh, so it's got a couple of different definitions. If you look it up, the first one is uh, divinely ordained events and outcomes. And then there's other ones like, you know, sort of like it was providential that it rained last week, that kind of thing. But, but there are lesser things like the orderly working out of the, of the world. But all the great church leaders have written on this, from Augustine to Thomas Aquinas to, to Luther to John Calvin. And one of the extensions out of this is that God uses ordinary events and ordinary people, even evil ones, to do his purposes, to work out his purposes. And, and we've seen that in this church. We really have. But I want to just give you a quick um, thought from out of Genesis because I think we ought to illustrate providence. So providence, the last chapter of Genesis, I'm going to just read you a couple of th- things out of verse 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended it, tended to harm me. This is now talking to his brothers. Okay, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. So that's out of um, the Old Testament, actually the first book. And then out of the beginning of the, the church, Acts 2, Peter in uh, Acts 2 verse 22 is saying to the, um, is saying to the, uh, the Pentecost crowd, the Jewish crowd, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. And it goes on to talk about this is the providence. So um, these two things um, give the setting how God uses his, anything he wants to, mm -hmm. to work out his purposes. About 14 to 15 years ago, Linadell and I were already empty nesters. When Pastor Tim and his wife Taylor and worship pastor Mark Judd invited us to join this church plant, it, the decision seemed easy. Uh, Tim was an ex-Marine recon and seasoned his sermons with lessons about high-altitude parachute jumps with the wrong equipment. Okay, it was a fascinating sermon. And, and he also talked about bringing, uh, he brought in a cow tongue as a prop for a sermon illustration on James. We love John. We live, I'm sorry, we love Tim. So Mark, the pastor, uh, worship pastor, stretched and taught us as an excellent worship leader. And I had the privilege of serving with capable elders, uh, including Dick Heinzman. Conflict with several of the elders, um, especially the more structured, organized elders, was difficult for Tim, who eventually left to be a fireman. When Tim did a wonderful ceremony at our daughter's wedding after he had left, I cringed that from an earthly point of view, the elders, the elders had driven Tim from full-time ministry. Hmm. From watching the last 10 years, I believe God is using Tim and Taylor for his glory hmm. in a place that they are well-suited to. Hmm. There are many details I won't go into about the search committee and calling Pastor John and Cheryl. They served before the church folded back into the Bridge Newberry Park. Dick and I served together. We also had Mark Pons and Mark, uh, Mark and Ani. A number of people come to our church specifically because of Pastor John. Mm -hmm. Several people are much more regular givers at John's encouragement and example. Those who didn't know, he was a heavy giver. He knew how to give to the Lord's, the Lord's work. The men's ministry, by the way, I'm one of those. Uh, the men's ministry flourished under John's leadership. We shared in a number of baptisms. However, a number of people left the church because of John or his preaching. Some of you are back here again, you know, when Chris came. The years John led the church were quite humbling to him. They were difficult for the elder board. I sat here this morning thinking about how I'd cringe waiting to see if people were going to come to church or not that day. It was, it was challenging. It's been six years or so since John left the church. From watching the last six years, 
I believe that God is using John and Cheryl for his glory in a place they are well suited to. They and their ministries are flourishing. Everyone likes Chris and Renee. It's been fun getting to know them and their children. Dick and I stepped off leadership, and Sam stepped up to serve with Chris. Chris has become a wonderful pastor and is much more organized than he gives himself credit for. It has been a real joy to serve with Chris, and we've shared in a number of baptisms. With Sam and Dale moving, Patrick and I joined the elder board. Patrick works keeps him from involvement in men's ministry. However, we've all benefited from uh, and know him better because of his love for scripture and his preaching. Mm -hmm. He's an excellent elder with a keen spiritual insight mm -hmm. and strong administrative uh, skills. Mm -hmm. Last page is really thin. Okay, not much on there. <laughs> I want to just go a quick story about the elders. Mark and Ani Judd, Doug and Janet Grossman, Mark and Maggie Pons. What a wonderful prayer warrior. What a humble servant, Mark and Maggie Pons. Mm -hmm. Sam and Ann Mayhew. Uh, well, I don't have to say about I don't have to tell you about Sam and Ann. Dale and Angelique Norton, a prayer warrior, opened his house. Mm -hmm. it, it, Dale, Dale changed me, okay? Dick and Sylvia Heinzman. Last night, uh, last week, Tuesday night, we were out, we were at, uh, I saw Gabe Ballerini, and he's been going through some issues. And he said, I want to be like Dick Heinzeman. Mm. He made a big difference in my life. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is the way, this is you affect people. Yeah. Tim and Taylor Colomb, Patrick and, and Kathleen Locke and Fora continue to serve. There's a couple of people who are not elders, elder boards, but I want to uh, name out Rich and Ann Psyche. They have, but they have served as servants yep. for the church year in, year out. They've suffered the same way we've suffered, and they've been blessing and blessed like we've been. I ride in Kathy Nash. Kathy's headed up the children's ministry for, for years, and uh, it was just really, really neat. So God's providence is not always easy to recognize in trying times. Change itself is difficult. It is faith that allows us to trust God to use all things for good. Providence is best recognized looking back. Hmm. <clears throat> Say that again. That's, that was really good. It is faith that allows us to trust God to use all things for our good. Yeah. Providence is best recognized looking back. Since we are all potential instruments that God is using to bring about his good in the lives of other people, I've got a list of things for you to think about. By the way, I want to single out one or two other people that have changed my life. Or, ordinary people. Um, Dwayne Foster, hmm. his family, have made a difference to my life. Hmm. A men's retreat, really. I don't think it would happen without a men's retreat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's a couple others, ordinary people, maybe extraordinary. Bob and Callie, they're, they're, they're extraordinary. And they're ordinary, and they make a difference in my life. So here's number one. Be in God's Word every day. So this morning I was in John 4, and uh, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And she asked, well, where are we supposed to worship? On this mountain or down there in Jerusalem? And he says, yeah, there's a day coming where we're going to worship in spirit and truth, and it won't matter where we're going to worship. I think we're going to worship over there for a while. It doesn't matter. We worship in spirit and truth. That's in John 4. 
Number two, pray to see how God is and can work in your lives and the lives of others. Fellowship with one another. And I'm going to say church, life groups, men's and women's groups, and I put at Bethany. Serve one another. Don't be anxious about this merger or anything else, really. God is working here. Love one another. Be a peacemaker. They are blessed. It has been a wonderful blessing to me and my wife to serve this body over the last 15 years. We intend to continue many more. Mm-hmm. Blessings to you. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. Amen. Dude, you Thanks, Scott. And with that, we will close the service. <laughs> that was excellent. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have Patrick. Uh, he'll be preaching next week uh, while Renee and I are gone. And we're driving out to see Jake to bring him his Jeep, and then we'll fly back. But then, but over the, the next several weeks, we'll be talking about, you know, Patrick will share his reflections on. Uh, I know. We'll give you a couple of weeks before you come up. Yeah. <laughs> But it is, it's a time, you guys, the next month is going to be a time of transition. And it's, it's really, it's going to be a close in one sense, but it's a continuation as well. You know, and I, and I love that. Even think of you know, the providence of God. How do we recognize God's hand and leading? A lot of times we don't know until we look back, right? So, no, that was excellent. Thank you, Scott. That was awesome. And, uh, and, and again... All, it's funny, this, this series that we're in right now, the peace being a peacemaking church and all the elements of what peace means, you guys, we're in a turbulent time in the history of our church. It could cause all sorts of disunity. So this has just been such a timely series that I planned back in the spring to talk about just because I've always wanted to do this series. So this is uh, really good and, and we're, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what God has next for us, especially since... We're joining another body. We're not disbanding and dissolving. We're just changing location. And so uh, it's exciting to see what's next. And by the way, uh, probably Monday or Tuesday, after we get done driving all day, I'm sending out an email. There's a bunch of events during this month of November that are going on at Bethany that they've said, hey, come on and just be a part of it. There's a men's breakfast. There's information on the back. There's uh, a children's uh, Reformation Day picnic type thing that I, I will send out again, probably Monday. Um, there's uh, young marrieds or not young marrieds, young families. They're having a big dinner on November 10th that they've invited us to. Uh, did anyone go to the Mexico thing yesterday building in the parking lot? Some had asked about it. Oh, you did go, Ed? Cool. And they are actually going to Mexico next weekend if you wanted to hop on the trip with them uh, Friday through Sunday to build the house down there uh, in Mexico. Um, so there's a couple other things, so I'll send them oh, There's the Saturday, December 1st, the decorating their whole church for Christmas. Um, so that we've been invited to that. So there's a lot of things that will help the transition. I'm also going to get information about the different ministries. We're going to have our ministry leaders talking. Um, there may be a ministry fair the first few weeks of December into January of saying, hey, here's the ministries, let's get connected. And if you're helping lead here, you are invited to help lead with their teams there too. So it's going to be a time of transition. You get a lot of communication. Don't delete my emails. Yeah, I know some of you. Sean will be in the back, you know, give me a hard time. All right, so a lot of information coming, but it's to help us 
start transitioning, you know, up to Bethany and uh, just to get involved in the life and ministry there. So, is all right? Good? So let's get into Ephesians. And the final uh, part of this series on what a peacemaking church looks like is the reminder of exactly what the church is, how precious the church is to, to God and how He calls us into His church. Right? So we're going to look today, and it's, I just, I'm terrible at titles, but here's the one that I came up with. Real peace is seen in God's church. Okay, we have peace with God because of what He's done, but we get to display and live it out and enact peace amongst the body. Real, real peace is seen in God's church because it's been bought by Christ, and this is, that'll be the bulk of the sermon, the blood of Christ. It's just amazing. But bought by Christ and built by the Spirit. So that's what we're headed into, and uh, you know, I, I just am in amazed at, at this passage um, how many of you know Ephesians 2, 1 through 10? Not that you have it memorized, but it's a famous passage where it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one may boast. And then it goes to verse, you know, the next verse says, we are his workmanship created in Christ. That verses 1 through 10 is really Paul's explanation of our individual salvation, the new creation we are because of the amazing love and mercy of God. Then verse 11 shifts into, here's what he's done in this new creation called the church. Individuals are saved, and you don't become a part of the church later. You are immediately part of the church because the church is the saved ones all around the world immediately. You're, you're part of the church. But we have local bodies, local churches, and that's the rub, isn't it? When real people who are saints, sanctified, set-aside ones, who still struggle with sin and we start congregating together, that's when trouble can happen, right? right? And that's, that's kind of this passage here today to talk about what the church is supposed to be and do, all right? And that's what we're going to walk through this morning. So if uh, you open up, you, hopefully you have it open already, we're in Ephesians 2, and we're going through 11 through 22. So here we go. Therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh and hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Dreary picture, isn't it? But now... Oh, good. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, and by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, or thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
So then, because of this, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for thank you for your leading and your guiding of this church over the years, different faces, different leaders, different people, but the same purpose, the same uh, calling. And Lord, uh, it, it is so great to look back and to see your hand uh, leading through the thick and thin. Your, your purposes cannot be thwarted. So God, thank you for that confidence we have in, in knowing you have been leading us and you continue to lead us. Thank you for your word here and, and what, we're, uh, what we see laid out, that this whole pr- plan of redemption is not by accident. This, this amazing, wonderful thing you've done in, in, in creating the church in this new covenant era it's amazing that, that the Gentiles, non-Jews, are being brought in, grafted in, and we have this organism growing all the time in, in just different ways and with different personalities. God, we get to see you at work, unstoppable. And uh, Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you for what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do uh, in this body, God. Especially as we move into uh, moving up to Bethany and joining the, our brothers and sisters there, and uh, the different dynamic that'll happen, but the great potential for just amazing new things, God. So we just love you. We thank you that we have these sure promises from you that you are building your church. You are weaving us together to accomplish your purposes. So we thank you, God. We pray that as we look at this, that we would. Uh, just want to uh, cooperate with you and to work with you to understand the preciousness of your church and, and what you've called us to because of that. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you as we walk through this that you can teach us and change our hearts. And because of that, our lives will be different. So we thank you for that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let me start with a little uh, illustration uh, from World War II. I call it Bitter Division. During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time from from Hitler. Those who did not faced harsh persecution. In almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups, and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. For several days, each person spent time in prayer, examining his own heart in the light of Christ's commands. Then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who told of the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then when you actually came together? We were just one, he replied. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God, 
and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I call that peace testifies. Think about that. What would the world think when you see two groups that had such a bitter division? What would they think about the potential of them reconciling? Ain't no way, right? But in the Lord Jesus Christ, even this, we can see that God redeems and restores and his love wins out, right? And that's, that's just a, a great thing because, uh, again, in the church, you know, we, we, we have potential, no matter who we are, what time, there's always potential for conflict. And, and this is where we need to just hear what God has uh, for us. Because we humans are so good at dividing, right? I mean, we see it in America right now, but if we look, we can see examples all throughout history, wherever, from the very first two human beings born. Cain and Abel, what happened? Murder <laughs> from the very beginning. But, you know, like uh, Greeks versus barbarians. You know, we see in Acts 17, Paul is preaching to the, to the Athenian philosophers, and he brings up something about how, you know, that all men were created from the same pair. The Athenians, the Greeks, thought that they were a special, uh, a special race of humans compared to everyone else. And they called uh, the others barbarians because it came from the word barbar, it's because if you didn't speak Greek, you spoke bar, 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 bar. That's really where that word barbarian comes from. You're not one of us. I just thought that was interesting. We obviously know in the Jews and the Gentiles, right? The Jews, we are the covenant people of God, right? God chose Abraham and said, your descendants, I'm, I'm setting my special relationship on. You're going to have the, the sign of circumcision. I'm going to give you special blessing, giving you a land. But the whole point of the Jews was to be a light to the world, to say, hey, here's the true God, come check him out and join us. But the Jews got real good at separating, right? We're better than you. You're not us. So there's a, that Jew and Gentile break. And of course, the Jews were always persecuted because, well, that's Satan's war on God, right? Think about it. Satan's going to attack God's plan however he can. But we got the Jews and the Gentiles, the Greeks, the barbarians in America, We've never struggled with any kind of separation, do we? Well, the blacks versus whites, the minorities, whatever. How about Republicans versus Democrats? It's a little bit of, little bit of conflict. Are you guys there? Hello? Yeah, okay. You know what's going on. But you name it, we're great at dividing. But here's the deal. That is not to be in the church at all. Not to be. We are the gathering of the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I'm just quoting right out of Revelation 5 there. That's what we are. So to end this series, let's consider God's plan of uniting a diverse group into one body, one people, in Christ to show the world the power and wonder of God. You know, we got 2 Peter 3.15 says, Hey, set aside Christ as Lord in your hearts right? And always be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. Always be getting ready to have an answer. That means what? What does that verse imply? 
that people see a hope and they ask you about it. And you have to be ready to reply. So will our church up at Bethany, here now, wherever we're at as Christians, do we display the wonder and power of God? And I tell you, peace, unity amongst diverse people, diverse economic, diverse in interest, diverse whatever, us showing unity screams to the world something's going on there, right? So that's the challenge. So as we walk through this, I would just want to, I just kind of separate into three large chunks and just to, just to watch what, we, what God has called us to. So first of all, verses 11 through 13, I call it a church bought by and united by Christ, okay? United in Christ. And so he goes to this, he says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, all right? So the therefore is, he's just said something in, in cha- earlier in chapter 2, about which he wants to expand on. So in chapter, and I've already said this, but in verses 1 through 10, it's how are you saved as an individual, really? Verses 1 through 3, it's not good. You're dead in your transgressions and all that in verse 4, but God, he changes the situation, and because of his grace, we can be in Christ, raised to the heavenlies. We're on display for for everyone to see that God is full of grace, and we're saved by his grace through faith, Uh, Just an amazing statement. And then he starts shifting to talk to the Christians at Ephesus who were having problems in the church. And it was also the same problem in the book of Romans. The Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. There was animosity. There's been animosity in the church from the very beginning. Did you know that? What was the first sign of struggle in the early church? You open up to Acts, there we go. What, the specific group of widows, the Greek, the Jew, the, okay, so in the early church, right after Pentecost happens, we have the church gathering, they're, they're trying to take care of each other, some are selling their property and they're gathering money to take care, and, and of course you have to help the widows and the orphans, and what was happening, and I think it's Acts chapter 6, the Jewish the Jewish widows, or the, the widows who were from Israel, the land of Israel, were getting preference over the Jewish Christian widows who were from outside of Israel. They were Jews but lived in Greek territory. Remember, I've I talked to you about this a lot over the years, that the further away you got from Jerusalem in the Jewish mind, how holy were you the further away you got? Well, the further away you got the more tainted you were potentially because you were in contact with Gentiles, the unclean. So there was even bias and prejudice in the very early church. And they had to correct that. That was Acts 6. That's where they appointed, you know, the six, the prototype of deacons to help. And the, you know, anyway, so there was conflict at the very beginning. There were several that we see in the book of Acts alone. They had to call a big council in Acts chapter 15. Because Gentiles were becoming Christians and they had to figure out in the church, well, do they have to take on the Mosaic law too and look like Jews? Because before Jesus came, if you wanted to follow Yahweh, this is before Jesus, if you were a Sicilian, I'll just throw that out there, you're a non-Jew and you wanted to follow Yahweh and you were a male, what did you have to do? You had to get circumcised 
And you had to go through proselyte baptism. That's where we get it. They would get circumcised, but they would also go into a mikvah, and it would be symbolic of them. That's where we get it from, baptism. That picture of a, of a Gentile becoming a follower of Yahweh, circumcision for male, but for male and female, they both got baptized. It was called proselyte baptism. That's where we get the, pro, the whole thing from. So that was a big deal. Well, do they have to also get circumcised and take on all the dietary laws? Because that's what we've done for 1,500 years. And that's where the council said, oh, wait, no, actually. Because when Peter preached to Cornelius, Cornelius was a Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10, when he became a Christian, those who were in his household who heard it, what happened immediately? What was the sign in the book of Acts to show that God was at work? They received the Holy Spirit, but it was, how did they know that? They spoke in tongues. They spoke in human languages they didn't know about the gospel and praising God. So the Jews that were there, it's like, oh, they don't have to become Jews. They just have to believe in Jesus. Ah, but you guys understand, human beings are great at having, well, here's how you're supposed to do things, and if you don't do it that way, we separate. So we, again, I'm just giving you samples. The early church was not as clean and tidy as we think. They had conflict. Why? Because they were breathing. They're human beings. Yes, saved by, by God and, and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, but practically, daily living, they still make mistakes, because we all do, right? So we're great at dividing. But the bit, one, of the, one of the issues here that he's addressing to make very clear to show the radical unity of this new creation called the church is he's, he's addressing it right here. You Gentiles in the flesh. He was not mocking them. He's just trying to say it. You Gentile Christians and you Jewish Christians, we've got to work on this, called the uncircumcision, and that is a term of derision from the Jews. Heck, when we see David... When he comes up to Goliath, or comes up, you know, to the camp and he hears this giant yelling out, you know, mocking the God of Israel, he calls him, what is this I hear, this uncircumcised man? It was a term of derision against the Gentiles, especially Goliath there. But so we see the, the, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. When was circumcision first commanded? You don't have to tell me which chapter and verse, but who was the first one to get circumcised? Abraham. This was after Abraham had been obedient to God and God considered him righteous, credited him with righteousness. And then later God says, okay, well, for your kids, for you and your kids, now I want you to put, take this sign that is to be a physical sign of your covenant relationship with me. It doesn't save you because... Abraham was already considered righteous. Paul makes a big deal about this in the book of Galatians. The chronology of circumcision shows us that salvation has always been by faith because it says Abraham believed God. That's faith. And God created, considered him righteous. Then later in Abraham's life, he gave him the sign of circumcision. But it was to be for all Jewish males, descendants of Abraham, as a physical sign that they belonged to God, but it also had a spiritual connotation. It was to be having a circumcised heart, okay? I, I don't need to get into it much more than that, but that was the deal. To the Jews, it was a huge thing. 
So when, when, when the Acts 15 council says, no, you Gentiles, when you become Christians, you don't have to get circumcised. You know what the Jewish Christians did? Their jaws dropped. Because it, it, it's just, whoa, what? But that's hard to get over. They don't get over it right away. Peter himself, even though he had a vision from God before he met with Cornelius, Hey, you can eat all the unclean foods now. That's not the issue of salvation anymore. In Christ, it's a whole new deal. He had the vision where it happened three times. And then he went and preached to Cornelius. Cornelius and his household get saved. They speak in tongues. It's the sign, oh my goodness, this major hurdle is being crossed. And then the Acts 15 council, you don't have to be circumcised if you're a Gentile Christian. But then Peter later on, and this is in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, he says, Paul said, I had to oppose Peter to his face. Peter, the head of the disciples. Paul had to oppose him to his face because Peter had been eating with Gentile Christians. Everything's great. And then some men, it says some men from James, from the Jerusalem church, who are formerly Pharisees, who are supposedly Christians, started saying to Peter and the other Jewish Christians in Galatia, oh, we're supposed to be separate. Oh, and you Gentile Christians, you have to also become like Jews to be really saved. Paul, the whole book of Galatians, you guys, is a direct attack by Paul just fighting that thing. He says, no, it's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now, if you're a Jew, should you get circumcised? And, and, and can you do those feasts and all that? Does that nullify your salvation? Well, no, that's part of their heritage. That's fine, but it's not salvific. Peter felt the pressure. Even though he had had all these visions, he knew the council, they, did, he did, they didn't have to become Jews to become real Christians, these Gentiles. But he stopped eating with them. And so did Barnabas. Barnabas also got sucked into the deal. So Paul opposed them, meaning he confronted them publicly to say, no, you can't do that. I bring that up just to show it was hard for these Jews after 1,500 years of here's how you're in a right relationship with God and then when Jesus comes along with a new covenant, a whole new way of things for them to wrap their brains around it. And because of that, there was disunity in the church and conflict. Now, there's other things, too, that we can bring up, but that's just an example. We are good at dividing. But this was really seen in the early church. So Paul, in, as he opposes it, we also get good teaching for ourselves that if we see any divisions, what are we supposed to do? Oppose division because we are united in Christ. He says, work hard to maintain the unity of the body. Don't create unity. You are unified. you got to work at the conflict and the sin that gets in the way. So that's why he's bringing this up with them. Remember that, he's talking to the Gentiles, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time, okay, before Jesus came, separated for, from Christ. I mean, before they became Christians, I'm sorry. You are separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. What does that mean? You're not part of the people of God. If you were a Gentile, you were not part of the covenant people of God. If you were not part of the covenant people of God, what was your destination? Just say it, hell. Whoa. <laughs> 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, all these covenants God made with people and said, you're my people, this is how we can relate, and if you want to be good when you have sin, you offer sacrifices, it, it was, he was in relationship with them. And Gentiles could be a part of that, but they had to become Jews. Get circumcised, go through proselyte baptism, start going through all the eating, dietary laws and all that. Even clothing, by the way. Matter of fact, God had specific clothing laws too. How the, because it, they, they, they weren't allowed to mix different types of frag, uh, different types of fa- <laughs> Oh my God, fabrics. There we go. I keep wanting to say fragment. Fabrics. But why? Because he wanted them in their eating, in their clothing, in, how they, in who they married to be considered a distinct, unique, set-aside people. Physically, they were to be distinct from the world because Jesus was, or God wasn't just one of the gods like the other nations. He was the God, and this is my people, and I'm going to do incredible things with this tiny little nation that's going to confound the world Egypt, the mightiest empire of the time. How did the Jews get out of Egypt? What did they do? Say nothing. This little group of slaves, well, there's two million of them at least, but they did not fight any war to get out of Egypt, did they? Who did it? God. So famous was God in how he got them out of Egypt that 40 years later, a prostitute in Jericho said, we heard about what your God did and we've been shaking these 40 years because we know there's 2 million people only about 20 miles away from us. That was famous because here that was God's plan all along. I'm choosing you because I'm going to show the world that I'm the one who's powerful, not the people I picked. Matter of fact, Jews, you're the most stubborn, stiff-necked and smallest of the tribes. He said that. He always did that because he wanted to, when we see this from, you know, in the New Testament, he says he uses the weak things of the world, to, well, the weak thing to confound the powerful, the, 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 or the shameful things, you know, he just, he goes, Us, my way of doing things is, is not what you think. Oh, we have to have the biggest army and all this stuff and we'll show everyone how powerful he's like, no, you don't get horses and chariots from Egypt. You don't go to Egypt to get your stuff. This is throughout the... Uh, history of Israel. You do not go back to Egypt. You trust in me because you have your hoes and your sickles and if you have to fight chariots, guess who's going to win if I'm on your side? Doggone right. God. You and God, that's an army, right? So he wanted them to be distinct, but here's the deal. They were distinct and if you were a Gentile, you were outside these promises, having no hope and without God in the world. So how many ways were there of being saved before Jesus came? Could you believe in any God? Even then you couldn't. You had to come to know the true God of Israel. But now, that's the change in the story, isn't it? That, that word, but, we see that, you know, obviously in Ephesians 2, 4, but God but we also see it in Romans 3.21 after the whole listing how everyone is condemned because none seeks after God. There's no one, you know, oh, it's just a terrible situation, but it says, but now there's a change. And that's when God enters in and that's what happens here. But now 
in Christ Jesus. And by the way, that's the key for the whole book of Ephesians. If you are in Christ, ah, you have the, the riches of the spiritual blessings available to you if you are in Christ. If you're outside of Him, ah, that's not good. But now, in Christ Jesus, who you who were once, you who once were far off, Gentiles, far off, the ones who were near the Jews, near to what? Jerusalem. It's actually a picture. To say far off means you were far off from the temple, from Jerusalem, from the land of Israel. You who were far off, that means Gentiles. You were far off from the covenants, the place of, where was the one place you could worship the true God of the whole universe? Jerusalem. God said that. He says, this is my holy city, my holy hill. God said that to Abraham. So you who were far off, Gentiles, Oh, I'm saying you, you who once were far off have been brought near. Not by becoming, Jew, by becoming a Jew, but by what? The blood of Christ. And this is where I kind of have fun. I just went through different passages that talked about the blood of Christ. Uh, Romans 3.25. Oh, wait, do I have Matthew 20 up there? I do. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to do what with his life? Give his life as a ransom. And we know that giving of his life meant shedding of his blood. I just had that there at the beginning. But here, look at some of these others. Romans 3.25. Whom God, just talking about Jesus, what he did. He, he provided uh, Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. How? By his blood. A propitiation, what's that? It's a, it's a payment that satisfies the, the wrath and the justice of a holy God because sin demanded punishment. There was a payment that had to be paid, but none of us could do it. Jesus was what's called the propitiation. He satisfies that. By his blood to be received by faith, not by becoming a Jew. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He passed over former sins. Romans 5, 1, 9, and 11 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since therefore we have now been justified by what? His blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have some pretty cool things in here, just this passage alone. We've been justified. We have peace. We've been saved from the wrath of God, and we have reconciliation. Ephesians 1.7, in Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And through Him, talking about Jesus in Colossians 1.20, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. How much did peace cost? The blood of the Son of God. So how much is peace, how, how precious is it to God in the church? So when he says you guys need to be at peace with each other, how much does he mean it? It cost his son. There's more. Let's just keep reading. I just, this just digs in. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Again, the pictures of the temple. Who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies? Only one person once per year, and he was in there a short time, and he had to get out, right, to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. But now he says we have confidence how often to go in, whenever we want. We have access all the time. That's amazing. To a Jew hearing this, they would they'd be dumbfounded. We miss that. Acts 20, 28, be careful. He's, Paul is talking to the, the leaders of Ephesus, the, their elders. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Why? Which he obtained, how? With his blood. So what did, what did it cost him to gain the church? His blood. That's why it's precious and that's why elders, we, we are commanded to love and care deeply. 1 Peter 1, 18-19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that amazing? Revelation 1.5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation 5.9, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Isn't that amazing? His church cost him everything. And if you're a new creation in Christ, guess what you're part of? His church. That's how precious you are to him. We've been bought by Christ. One new body, no divisions, no distinctions. But here's the deal. Paul could have ended it here, right? This whole talk about unity and peace in the church, but he, go, he goes on. See, here's the deal. This will always be one of the biggest problems of the church, disunity. And that's why he's driving it home. He goes on. He's going to drive it home and deep and without mistake. There's no confusion about God's view of those who are in his family. And there's, there's no one who's better than anyone other. All are equally in. What did he say? The first shall be... Last and the last shall be first. Well, that doesn't, that, all that means is that we all get in together. That means we all cross the finish line together. That's all that that's trying to say. So we're all equally in. Whether you're a new Christian of five minutes or a, a Christian of 50 years, we're all equally children of God and precious and beloved of Him. So if you struggle with that, oh, I, yeah, I'm, man, God doesn't love me as much as those others. My goodness, come talk to me because that's not true. You're precious to him because you cost him a lot. That's how much he loves you. So let's look in verses 14 through 18, just more of this. He just, he's talking more, a church that's at peace with God and with each other. This is where we start switching to the each other. For he himself, and that's emphasis, Jesus is our peace who has made us both one, Jews and Gentiles. If you become Christians, you are now one. There is no distinction. And has broken down in his flesh, because of his body, because of his death, 
and resurrection, he has done something. When he died and said it is finished, what happened to the temple? The curtain tore from top to bottom to signify access to God. The holy place is now open to all who believe in him. That was that. But now he's changing. He's taking another item from the temple mount that separated Gentiles from Jews. Can we go to the next slide? There's a picture. So, oh, thank you. Oh, it's, I thought it would be better than this. All right, so here's the temple mount at Jesus' time. There was a wall or a screen that went all the way around that kind of enwrapped the temple. There's other courts. This is the court of the Israelites, the court of the women, and then keeps going. There's more and more, you know, there's levels, right? That wall kept Gentiles out. They couldn't go in any further. This area is the area that Jesus cleared out because the Sadducees, the priests who were in charge of the temple at that time, had turned it into what? A marketplace. And then Jesus says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. That word all nations is what? Gentiles. And he's saying, this is supposed to be for all nations, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. You are cutting off access to God because of your robbery. That's why he cleared it out. But in this part, he says that Jesus has knocked down that wall now. Again, it's to drive home to the Jews. Gentile Christians are just as in as you are, Jewish Christians. Again, he has to address this. Again, it, it, it just goes, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He, you don't have to have all the food and dietary laws and clothing laws anymore. Why? That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So, making peace, that he might reconcile both, we're, we're reconciled to God, but we're also reconciled to each other, it says. In one body, through the cross, by killing the hostility. When Jesus was killed, he killed that, divide, that division. He made peace. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, Gentiles. And he preached peace to those who were near, Jews. Jews weren't, remember Jesus says, look, just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you're good with God. If you look at his ministry, he was constantly saying, no, <laughs> you've got to repent and be baptized. That was John the Baptist's message. That was his message. Jews, you have to be right with God. It's not your flesh that makes you in it's your heart that makes you in. And he's saying here, you've both been given the same message, peace through Jesus Christ, but you've got to believe in it. And he says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So if you're a Christian, how much more access did a Jewish Christian have than a Gentile Christian? They're the same. Same message, same peace, same access. And it also doesn't say, but except for those of you who are really godly, you'll have even more access. You know what gets in the way of your access to God? If you're unforgiving, it says. If you won't forgive others, God won't hear you. It also says to, to husbands who are not ministering to their wives like they should in 1 Peter 3, 7, if you're not treating her with affection and kindness, guess what? God won't hear your prayers, it says. So, there's, what is, so what is that ultimately? Sin gets in the way. Does he turn his back on us? No, when we do sin, we turn our back on him. He's still there. You can still have that access. I'm way off my notes. Let me just get to this. But that's, that's the amazing part. That's the amazing part. We have access to God. Access to God because he is our peace. 
There is no distinctions. When you get to heaven, there will not be a Baptist quarter of heaven. There won't be an EV free quarter of heaven. There won't be whatever. There's no distinctions. Not what time of history did you become a Christian? It's we're all in. I, there's certain people I can't wait to talk to. You know, obviously loved ones and stuff, but I, I want to talk to Paul because he was a character. I mean, I want to talk to, you know, some of the great Christians of the past, these, you know, like well, Spurgeon. He was an interesting cat. <laughs> One of the greatest preachers of all time. Anyways, I'm getting off. But that's, we just got to keep moving. At Galatians 3, 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a garden, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were, who as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In salvation, no distinctions. Amazing. And there's more, but I have like two minutes, so I'm just going to read it to you and just go from there. And he, again, he's driving this home. He uses another illustration. He uses another Jewish illustration to drive this home. He uses the temple. You are a living temple. We are being built by the Spirit as God's new home. We are his dwelling place. So if he dwells in his church, what was the point of that? To show the world how you can know the true God. A living temple, it says. We are being, I'll just read it. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not outside, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints. So if you're a Christian, you are a saint. There is no special category of Christian called a saint according to the Bible. So I can show you verse after verse. If you're a Christian, saint means you are a hagias. That means to be set aside one, holy, distinct for God's purposes. In our life, we don't look so holy, but in eternity, we will be perfectly holy because who will, be, who will we be clothed in? Christ's righteousness. We will be perfectly holy. In God's eyes, when he sees you, he sees a saint. I'm, ooh, I'm glad for that, for me. You're, you're, you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that first century, right? The first century, they laid the teaching that laid the foundation of the church. And then who's the chief cornerstone, the one that starts it all? Jesus Christ. So if you preach some kind of message of salvation, but you don't get to Christ and his life, his death, his resurrection, you don't have the church. It's always got to be built on Christ. in whom the whole structure, and here's the deal, being joined together, meaning God is still building His temple, His household. It's being joined. That's present tense. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together. So He's not just adding layers of Christians. He's adding layers of Christians that are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are God's temple. So if you're fighting with other Christians, what are you doing to the temple? You're, you're ruining the mortar that holds us together. 
May we be a church that displays the wonders of the living and holy God. Amen? May we be a church that works hard at unity. May we be a church. And you guys, we have a big opportunity to apply this in real time when we go to Bethany. Oh, the kiddos are running around. <laughs> I better end this up. We're not over time, though. Oh, God. <laughs> that was Jeff saying, Chris, come on. Let's close this up in prayer. And, uh, but, folks, I, I pray that we take this to heart because we, we will have opportunities now to show it in real time, even more than ever in the coming months. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for just how you care for us, your patience your mercy, your grace. Lord, thank you for those little munchkins out there, the ones that you've entrusted to us as, as precious kids. God, thank you. Thank you for how you've, you have built your worldwide church, but Lord, even this local church, how you've built us over the years and how you have a new, new plan for us. And God, we're going to follow you. You're a shepherd. You know, what's, you know what's best for us, and we're going to follow you and rejoice in you. And Lord, I just pray that you would enlarge our hearts to, to enlarge our, our breadth of what our family is as we join the Bethany crowd, Lord. And Lord, most of all, build your kingdom. We pray that more and more would know you and love you because of this witness of peace in, a, in, in something that just doesn't make sense to the world. God, thank you for your goodness to us all the time, every way, every day. In Jesus' name, amen.